Josh, can you look oh at the words, no, please? Is it girls or guys first? A normal living, breathing human being, you'll probably know something of the experience of anger. There it takes a variety of forms. You might have had some anger today. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe you're up trying to get a parking spot. Maybe you, you know, something happened, someone cut in on you in the traffic. Uh, maybe a sporting team loss that you're going for. Whatever it is, you might know the experience of anger, everyday anger, whether it's on the phone with someone saying your call is important to us, please hold on the line, and you're sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. You'll know that experience. Uh, every day, I think, can have those kind of brief moments, those short moments of frustration and anger, but at other times, it can go deeper. It can be quite chronic. It can be quite serious, that frustration at the way that life is going and that we can find ourselves getting angry and angrier as the years go on. And we look at our lives, we think, how are we so much angrier now than we used to be? Uh, there can be the, the cynic that can grow in the cynicism and bitterness over life. Um, we can find ourselves quietly angry in that passive-aggressive kind of way where we kind of become a little bit dis distanced, detached, perhaps less engaged, bitterness brewing. Uh, it's fair to say that anger has its place in various levels for all of us. Sometimes we feel it is justified. Often we feel our anger is regrettable. Often there's uh, a lot of damage that's done with anger. Perhaps more so than other emotions that we experience when we're angry, it really does impact those around us. So what we're thinking about in this series as we think about our emotions, particularly today, we think, what do we make of our anger? And as those who follow Jesus and what we're on about here at St. Mark's is what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus through his word. What does Jesus do with our anger? How does he transform our anger? What we're going to do over the next little while, we're going to start with looking at the person of Jonah because I think he's a great case study in maybe what we call everyday anger. And I think it's written, those back couple of chapters, I think are written for us to understand uh, that particular study in anger. And then we're going to think about our anger uh, a little bit later. So we've got uh, this uh, prophet, Jonah. Some people call him the prophetic prophet of God. Uh, the guy who tried to run away from God after God asked him to preach to the people of Nineveh the message of repentance and he tries to escape on the boat. God sends the storm. You probably know the story. Uh, you know, Jonah knows that the storm has been sent to him. He asks the sailors to throw him overboard. God sends a big fish to save Jonah. Uh, he gets swallowed up. There's a lot of practicalities that we're trying to imagine. How would that happen? But, you know, but there's, a, you know, there's, a, there's a, an incredibly powerful narrative there. Then Jonah goes and preaches to the people of Nineveh, preaches repentance. The people of Nineveh do repent. You might have heard the sermon that he preached. It was a seven-word sermon. You're gonna get, you've, we've already passed that tonight, so there you go. That was a seven-word sermon from Jonah to the people of Nineveh. God shows compassion on them. They repent. And then we have this final chapter records how Jonah feels as a result of everything that has just happened. And this is what we're going to be spending a little bit of time thinking about. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to follow along uh, Jonah chapter 4. Uh, some of the text will appear on the screen. We'll follow along with this narrative. So verse 1, we see that Jonah, as a result of the people of Nineveh repenting and God's compassion, he is greatly displeased. He's become furious. Why? Jonah says... Well, I fled to Tarshish in the first place because I knew you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, 
and one who relents from sending disaster. So Jonah is angry because God chose to show compassion on Jonah's enemies. It does sound like a little bit like a kid who enjoys watching other kids get in trouble and then is getting very angry that the kids have been let off the hook and they didn't get busted, they didn't get punished the way he thought they should have. He says in verse 3, Now, Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. For Jonah, his whole purpose of living has been bound up in seeing his enemies punished. That's actually the real reason why Jonah ran away and didn't want to preach to the people of Nineveh. I kind of grew up thinking Jonah ran away because he was scared. He kind of didn't like public speaking or something like that. That's actually not why he ran away. He ran away, we see, because he knew God's compassion on his enemies. His reason for living seems to have been taken away. Jonah knew the facts about God's character. He could recite the facts. He could answer the quiz about God's character perfectly. God is rich in mercy and compassion, slow to anger. But the thing with Jonah is he wasn't actually interested in God. For Jonah, God needs to fall in line with Jonah's agenda for Jonah's life. It's almost as if Jonah is angry that God has disobeyed Jonah, right? And I think a lot of our anger can be like Jonah's. We're angry when our schedule, our agenda, our hopes, our ambitions for life are being thrown into the bin. Now, some people might rarely be consciously angry at God, like some Christians. It seems sometimes it happens in the midst of tragedy uh, and really intense suffering. We can be angry at God. We see that in the Bible. But in an everyday sense, I think we can be angry at God, maybe not consciously, but we can be angry when even things like when we're whinging about the weather or the traffic jam or the circumstances just not working out. It can be like God owes us everything in our life working exactly as we planned. Everything in our life should work exactly around our schedule and our agenda. And when it doesn't, we can get angry. I think we can have that sub, sort of subconscious anger at God. And so I think God's questioning, his response to Jonah in verse 4, goes straight to the heart of our sinful anger. Verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? Really, Jonah, are you so entitled to be angry? I mean, clearly Jonah thinks his anger is justified. Now you can kind of imagine... God saying to Jonah, hang on a second, Jonah, you're angry, and didn't I just save you from the storm with a big fish that didn't digest you, but throwed you up on the, didn't, didn't I just answer your prayer, and now you're still angry at me? Have you got any right to be angry? I think it's a very good question for us to ask ourselves, a very wise question. Every time we feel angry, we feel very justified in our anger, often, don't we? Have we any right to be, are we entitled to be angry? Now, I think our anger always feels initially like it is justified. We might call our anger righteous anger or justified anger. And there is a place for that, which we're going to come back to a bit later on. But more often than not, despite how we feel, our anger so often isn't particularly righteous. What I love about the next part of Jonah's story is we see again in a little bit more detail, in a bit more comedic detail, I think, just how fickle and shallow and trivial Jonah's anger is. 
uh, despite these uh, loud protests to God. It's almost melodramatic. And I think it's deliberately written like this for us to sort of almost laugh at the ridiculousness of Jonah's anger. Just see what he does. Jonah goes out then and sulks in the desert, away from everything, tries to find some shade, sulks, looking at the city to see what's happening. And then God provides this vine for him, some kind of vine that obviously grew up very quickly to provide some shade to ease his discomfort. So remember, Jonah, so angry, he wants to die. And now let's have a look at how Jonah's feeling. Verse 6, the Lord appointed a plant. It grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. <laughs> he suddenly, from going from wanting to die a few moments ago in rage, now very pleased, simply because it has a little bit of shade. It's almost like his, Jonah's anger is so unstable and erratic. He's so happy now because this unexpected vine grew up in the middle of the desert. You can imagine Jonah just sitting there. This is pretty cool. I came out here and this is the vine just grown up over me. Wow, this is great. And then what happens? The next day, God sends a worm and the vine shrivels up. And now Jonah's back to his angry self again. I want to die. <laughs> For Jonah, it's either great delight or the worst. There's no middle ground for him, isn't it? Now, why is he angry this time? It's because this unexpected blessing of the vine, the shade of the vine, has moved from being an unexpected blessing to his right. It's become his right. He's entitled to it. He's owed it. It shouldn't be taken away. He deserves it. I knew of a family, well, not at this church, but quite a number of years ago, who moved into an area and people kindly brought freshly baked bread every day to their doorstep as they moved into the area. And after a few weeks, the bread stopped coming, they moved in, and the comment from this, this, these new people in the area is just, where's our bread? Why didn't it come? And they got quite angry that this, the people had stopped dropping the bread around. It's like, how quickly a gesture of grace and kindness... <laughs> became an entitlement, a right. I deserve this. I don't know if you have that experience. We can, there's a whole range of different times where we, whether we experience some piece of new technology and we think, this is amazing, this is great. And then suddenly it's sort of taken away from you the next second. It's like there's an outrage, like a human right has been violated. Jonah is angry because he, in his heart he believes that God owes him blessing. That, that he's entitled to these things from God. And when God takes it away, he just wishes his life was gone. So much, I think, of our anger, not all of it, but so much of our anger in our world today is that we operate like the world owes us. God should revolve around us. The world owes us convenience. The world owes us accomplished plans. The world owes us smooth and efficient project management. The world owes us reward and pleasure. Well, then is anger always wrong, right? I've been hinting that it's not always wrong. Let's have a look at God and his anger. What does it look like? God does get angry. He gets angry because of what the Bible calls sin, which is humanity rejecting God. God's anger is very real. It's justified because the people... God has made have not just turned away from God but they've put themselves in the place of God 
and acted like God should revolve around them. And this is why God is angry. But the scriptures often describe God's anger, particularly as being slow anger, even desiring to turn his anger away. We see in verse 2, Jonah gets it right when he says, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, unlike me, rich in faithful love. Now, the thing with God is his anger is not turned away simply by maybe the way that we should turn our anger away often is just by taking a few deep breaths, stepping outside the room, calming down. God doesn't do that. We read in the scriptures, in the gospels, how much it costs God to have his anger turned away and we see his anger is turned away in his son. In John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection secured God's anger being turned away. And God is not just turning his anger away again by taking some steps, taking some steps outside, taking a few deep breaths and calming down. No, the turning of God's anger actually cost God very much, very dearly. God's anger is turned away because of the death of his son on the cross, Jesus. So then what about Jesus and anger? Let's have a think about Jesus. Does Jesus get angry? The gospel accounts... And a few are different accounts where there are some incidents of Jesus' anger. And the anger that Jesus demonstrates is the opposite of Jonah's anger. Every time the gospel writers record Jesus' anger, Jesus is angry at the religious type. The, 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 the people who are, the, the people, the Jonah types who are passionate about keeping the club rules, the club rule, keeping people, not expanding the people of God like, like God did with the people of Nineveh, keeping the, the people outsiders should be outsider, the insiders and the insiders. He, the, 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 these are the people who are not passionate about the things of God, but passionate about keeping the club rules the way they like them. And we see this scene, quite a well-known scene in Mark chapter 11, where Jesus' anger almost seems to be physical, where he t- goes in the temple courts, are the only area where the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, were able to go and worship God. He goes into these temple courts and he finds that this outer section has been turned into a marketplace, making it impossible for non-Jewish people to worship God. And so Jesus flips the tables over, making a scene, a demonstration that this is not right, this is not the way it should be. Again, he's angry at the pharisaical religious types for making a mockery of God's interest in the nations. But as a little side note, a little detail that you can kind of miss when you're reading through Mark, we'll be coming back to this uh, section next year when we return to Mark's Gospel. But we see in chapter 11, verse 11, there's this little kind of, what we might call an Easter egg if you spot it, right? In verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts, he looked around at everything... So everything would have been set up the night before, the markets and everything like that. Everything would have been set up in the outer court. Sees everything. But since it was already late, he goes back to Bethany with the twelve. So why is that significant? I think the author puts it in there that, that Jesus didn't go walk in and sort of get fly off the handle because of what, what have you done? His anger is controlled. It's actually slow. 
He slept on it. Overnight, he saw that scene. It's like the author is trying to point you to the fact that Jesus actually was, even, even in his reaction to this scene, was measured. And he's particularly angry, again, at those religious types deliberately trying to restrain God's work of salvation. So again, when you look at Jesus' anger, it puts our anger into perspective. We get a, not only a glimpse in what makes Jesus angry is when people are being restrained from coming to know God, but also what God cares about and celebrates. Well, let's return finally to the story of Jonah and have a look at how God responds to Jonah after his desert tantrum. In verse 10, you cared about the plant, the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, you did not grow. It appeared in a night and was perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left? God is in effect saying, listen, Jonah, you want me to tend to a vine, a plant, to comfort you, yet you're angry at me for tending to a whole city of people who are lost. Jonah's a little bit like the Old Testament equivalent of the older grumpy brother in the prodigal son if you know that story that jesus tells we so easily get angry when we're not the center of god's attention when the whole world that god has made is not revolving around us where everything that god is doing doesn't line up with every agenda that we have and every plan and preference that we have like jonah i think we do need to get some perspective when it comes to anger i think one of the most embarrassing things is when we see christians get very easily angry at things like customer service or on, on social media or whatever it is, venting when things aren't going our way. Of all the people who should be angry, it, it kind of does, when we get angry at these kind of things, it reveals, doesn't it, how concerned we really are about God's plan of salvation when we get angry at those smaller things in life. So as Christians, when we think about anger our anger here's the perspective that we do need to have in front of us first of all we really do deserve god's anger so first of all do we believe that do we really deserve god's anger we also really believe that god has shown us great mercy turned his anger away in jesus do we have any right now to be angry given proposition one Proposition two, we really deserve God's anger. God's anger really has been taken away radically at great cost to himself. Do we have any right to be angry? Well, let's now turn to finish our time thinking about Christian anger. It's a little bit longer conclusion than normal, but not too much longer, just in case you're hoping for a seven-word sermon. We've gone beyond that. Christian anger, here's the big picture, and I've got three qualities of Christian anger. Christian anger, there is a place for anger as a Christian. Three qualities. Christian anger is slow anger. Christian anger is loving anger. And Christian anger is dying anger. Let's look at all three of them quickly now. Christian anger, first of all, is slow anger. A kind of anger that occurs when we are aware of our own sin, how much God has saved us, how much he has turned his anger away from us. We are to be cautious in our anger. We, are aware, we should be aware of how potentially destructive it can be. 
We are called to be aware that we might not have the full picture. In fact, we probably don't have the full picture. We should be quick to listen. We are aware that our anger is not the way that God brings about righteousness. See this in James chapter 1. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's the first thing slow to become angry the second quality of christian anger is loving anger anger has a place in the christian life especially for those under our responsibility paul writes to the ephesians in chapter 4 verse 26 which we looked at a couple of weeks ago we're not going to go right back into ephesians again but we're going to look at uh, the couple of verses here he explicitly exhorts them literally be angry but do not sin ephesians 4 26 It is anger for the sake of someone else. It's not self-centred anger. It's Jesus-like anger. It is loving anger. So in the history of the Christian church, in the name of not being angry, a lot of damage has been done. A lot of great, great evil has happened. A lot of things have been covered up because we've kind of tried to train ourselves never to be angry about anything. No, there is a place for anger. Apathy in the church can just be it can be as destructive as self-centered entitled anger so anger can be the right response but our anger like jesus anger is to be motivated by love for others direct us to love others not towards our agenda our entitlements our convenience we can't also simply assume that being angry is all we need to do so sometimes we think we're being angry at sin is somehow going to fix the problem. That's not going to do. That's not going to fix the problem. We're very strongly warned in this passage: if you leave anger long enough, even good, righteous anger, it will turn rotten and bitter over time. Anger should trigger us to prayer and loving action. See there. We're going to now look at uh, the third point. Christian anger is therefore dying anger. Again, in Ephesians chapter four, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. So be angry don't sin right now it's dying make sure there's a sort of a sunset clause quite literally (laughs) do not let the sun go down while you are still angry do not give the devil a foothold i kind of visualize someone kind of here here devil grab a leg up you know that's not what we do right stay in your anger for too long will give the devil a foothold we're not called to be people who live sleep wake in a perpetual cycle of anger. The longer we're angry, the more chance the devil will use our anger and use it for all kinds of sin. We must be in the business of putting to death anger. And there you see there in verse 31 of Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. So be angry, don't sin. And we move from that in Ephesians 4 to get rid of it all, right? Be angry, don't let the sun go down. So you see, Christian anger is to be slow, loving, and dying. Putting it to death. So, you might be wondering about this, particularly if this is an area of your life that you might find difficult, or you've had that experience where you might find yourself getting angry quickly and easily. How are we going to deal with our anger? How do we just stop being angry? Do we just sort of move into a state where we have no emotions 
sometimes call it like Jedi-like Christianity, where you're not meant to have any feelings. No, that's not what we're called to do. Paul doesn't say that. He wants to direct, redirect our emotional life, which sounds a bit tricky, but Paul is commanding that we remove our emotion of anger and bitterness and rather replace it with the emotion of compassion or kindness to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, can you actually just simply switch your emotions around like that? So sometimes, particularly with our anger, we can feel it is just so, we're so in that moment. And if someone's, the worst thing that someone can say when you're really angry is just calm down, you know? (laughs) No, I'm not going to calm down, right? It's very hard, isn't it? But I reckon there might be a way, right? So here's an example of how you can switch your your emotions around very quickly. There used to be a show on TV, I don't know what the equivalent is, but there used to be a show on TV like called Candid Camera. Does anyone remember that show? This is a demographic thing. Yeah, they're well done. Yeah. I, I don't know what the equivalent is now. Um, there's kind of a, it's the prank shows where there's a hidden camera show and they're, they're basically, I don't, I, I don't know if they're even legal to do now, but anyway, they're, they're, they're probably on TikTok and all those kind of things. They're kind of the, the, the prank that you pull on somebody with a hidden camera and you see them getting more and more frustrated, right, as the prank has been set up, getting more and more angry. And then the whole setup is revealed and the person comes out and goes, Sm-, the line used to be, smile, you're on candid camera, right? And you'd always see the reaction of the contestant go, oh, right, okay, ha that was really funny, right? <laughs> and it's, it, but what was interesting is there was a genuine emotion of of deep frustration and anger building and sometimes they were set in the supermarket and different things like that with people getting more and more frustrated and the anger was building and building and when the person would step out and say smile you're on candid camera in an instant the person would kind of go wow okay right okay I completely understand this from a completely different perspective you weren't actually trying to have a go at me this is all part of a tv show and I'm the star wow anyway you know there's a way in which that kind of we can see the emotion switch off like that. And I actually think there is an equivalent for that kind of switching around saying, smile, you're on candid camera, with Christians. And it's there very subtly in verse 32 of Ephesians 4. What is that? It's seeing that in Christ, God forgave us. That is... When we're in that moment of deep anger, right? If we can flip around and just see how loved we are, how much we've been forgiven, and have that perspective, we can then be filled with compassion and kindness because of what Christ has done for us. But here's the thing. I think if we're being real about today, in our, in our moments of anger, this will be very difficult, difficult to do. So imagine you, are, um, you've, you've, you've listened to this message tonight and you've written, maybe had some notes, you've maybe taken some things away and you said, look, I, I really want to put this into practice. And you're driving home and someone cuts in on you, you know, in the, in the street and, you know, and then you go, all right, remember what the talk was, don't get angry, don't get angry. You get home and you put the key in the door and it breaks off and you're locked out. Okay, and then you, you're finally climbing through the window and the air conditioning's not working. 
I'm just trying to think of how many things I can get. To, to, and then you, you come home and you had your dinner all ready to go and then someone's eaten it. So I'm just, there's a lot of it. How many of those things? Anyway, at some point you'll be like, you know, this is really, really, I'm, I'm really, really angry, right? Uh, when we get that, I don't think the lesson for tonight is when you have those moments of anger, just remember that sermon that you heard back on that long weekend and write the notes and look at the passages. I don't think that's the point. The point is when we're not feeling angry as Christians, which hopefully is most of us tonight, when we're not feeling angry, the more that we invest our hearts in what God has done for us, who we are, we're actually building a currency, right? That we can draw on in our moments of deep frustration. The more we can see how loved we are, how much God's anger has been turned away from us, the more when the incidents, the moments come up in our life, and they will come up, the more our hearts will have been trained not to flare up in anger, to be gracious, to be compassionate, to forgive others, just as in Christ God has forgiven us. I'm going to invite Vic now to lead us in prayers. And uh, after she's prayed, we're going to spend an extended time in response. I've got three songs that we'll be singing together to finish our time. Together, we're going to finish our time together in praise. So I'm going to invite Vic to lead us in prayer.